It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design with Jason and friends. It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, January thirty first, and you're listening to episode five hundred and five. It's like a 404 error, but it's a 505 error. I don't know if that's a thing. Probably not. So, but I, I, Jason here, am joined by two lovely people. I am joined by one of our regular hosts, Nicole Amato, and guest Jonathan Schaffer. Hey, how's Hello. everybody doing? Doing great. Doing fantastic. It's good to have y'all here. It's good to be here. We had a, we had a, so, so what's great about y'all being here is that we, had an idea for well jonathan and nicole had an idea for an episode quite a while ago and um it never panned out and then i had a cancellation right before recording and you two hopped in and uh and now we're doing this episode so (laughs) but before we get into all that what have uh what's everybody been up to oh man what a great question um jonathan you can go first uh, I suppose I'll confine it to game design. Let's see. Um, I've got uh, a game hitting the shelves right now called The Cupid <gasps> Crisis. Yes. Ooh. The last time I was on the podcast was when the second game in the series, The Independence Incident, was coming out. Uh, it's escape room, 18-card escape room series. So this is the fourth one. So and cool. I'm in playtesting on the fifth one. Can you is the is the name of the fifth one? Well, can you tell us the holiday of the fifth can, one, or is any of it a secret? Is all of it a secret? Well, I, I, this is not a promise about the ordering because things do shift around. But right. I suppose it'll be a building the game exclusive that the next oh. one is called the birthday burglary. Nice. All right. All right. The names for your games uh, have been fantastic. Um, there was a read. Uh, what the first one was? The first one, the Santa one, the Kringle Caper. Yeah, the Kringle Caper. That's the what it was. Kringle yes, Kringle Caper. That one was. I I, that's it. I played that. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then yes, the Independence Incident, the Cupid Crisis, and the and Pumpkin then, Problem. Oh, and the Pumpkin Problem. Yes, the yes, yes. Problem. So. Well, you're going to, I just want to, Mark listens to the show, so you're definitely going to hear about it if you weren't supposed to tell people that, but I I have a feeling Mark will be okay with it. So, yeah. But, yeah, those, uh, what a great little series, Uh, and I say little because they're indeed little games uh, in little hook boxes. Uh, Those hook boxes actually inspired a design I'm working on uh, with Hannah Schaefer, an 18-card game design, uh, because the hook boxes... Uh, if you like, if you want to print onshore, those hook boxes actually make it a lot more possible because they're so cheap uh, to print, and so they're so useful in what all they can hold. So, yeah, yeah, they actually make a huge difference regardless of location. So, yeah, it makes it uh, feasible domestically, and if you're if you're you know shipping from if you're manufacturing in overseas. Um, these days shipping is a nightmare, but those mm-hmm. are actually small enough that I know um, Grand Gamers Guild air freights them. Um, yes. And, and that that isn't backed up like all the, the sea shipping Ships. is these days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know that it's a small game when you can air freight it for that cheap. Um, yeah. And I know that's the model that whenever uh, Jason Tagmire and Buttonshine need to print uh, outside of the US, they air freight them as well because... 
you know, small games allow you to do that, which is uh, one of the other draws to small games. <laughs> That's right. Nicole, you done any gamey, designy stuff of late? I have not done any game design stuff. Um, I've been meaning to uh, get into it, but I just haven't had the time. I did take on a, a like a freelance job, so that's been eating up some of my time. And I've also been catching up on lots of media. I finally watched Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. So good! Which Excellent. I liked a lot. Um, and I watched that movie, Don't Look Up, that Netflix movie. <laughs> I haven't I seen that, be, but I've heard I it's found good. It to be very depressing. I, I, I've heard I'm that. I'm worried it'd be far too real for me. Oh yeah, I definitely had moments where I was like, "Oh, too real, too yeah. realistic." Um, yeah, they were definitely going for like modern day satire, and they hit it too way. They way too bullshit. <laughs> like it's it's like a little painful at times. Um, yeah, and I've just been playing a lot of video games. Um, I've been playing the Railroad Inc. app, which I absolutely love. I'm, like, addicted to it. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah. So I've just been, like, working a lot, catching up on a lot of media. I finally caught up on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Ah. Yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They did a I good know, job of that show of, of landing it after uh, after disgusting police became so much more complicated yeah. mm -hmm. rapidly. They stuck the landing big time. Yeah. 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 And uh, I've also gotten into um, the, some video games I've gotten into. I've gotten into um, Across the Obelisk and Slay the Spire, which are like, you know, Slay, Slay the, the Spire is yeah. like that. Yeah. Really cool deck builder. And then um, Across the Obelisk is that way also, but it's like a cooperative deck builder. So you can play it with up to up to four people total. And it's very, hmm. very fun. Yeah. That's cool. Um, cool. Uh, I would I, recommend if you're looking for another game like that. Uh, it's, it's on, I, I only know if it's that it's on iOS. I don't know if it's on anything else, but it's, um, called dicey elementalist. Ooh, okay. Um, and it is slay the spire. Um, it's a slay the spire hack, but it's actually, I think better than slay the spire in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, I encourage you to check that out if you have, uh, ability to play stuff on iOS. So sorry. Cause yeah. everybody just heard me type that on my keyboard. <laughs> you, that was the quietest I've ever heard you type. I, I tried so hard to be quiet. Normally it's um, like Nicole Thunder Keys Amato. Uh, um, I don't know if you want me to say this cause I think you probably want a chance to say what you've been up to, but I've also been watching Taskmaster. <laughs> no, no. Everybody gets to hear what I'm up to every week. So it's nothing new. <laughs> um, where I've been working on some pitches and stuff and, uh, yeah, trying to, yeah, I've had some positive stuff and, uh, have a really big pitch uh, next week or this week as people oh, are hearing this. So fingers crossed so on that. Exciting. So yes, including pitching a game that Jonathan and I did together. So Ooh. yeah, so that's exciting. Um, but yes, yes. I also watched Taskmaster. I watched one whole episode of Taskmaster before this so show when so I found out y'all were coming on the show and that we were indeed going to talk about Taskmaster uh, and why it's relevant to game designers. Or or if it is or not. We're going to find out. Jonathan swears that it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's pretty smart, so I want to believe him. Yeah, so um, I don't know. It was probably... A dozen episodes ago, is it that that many? Maybe not quite that many uh, ago that uh, Nicole was on and ma mentioned. You mentioned that you were watching Taskmaster, and my ears perked up because it's my favorite <laughs> thing of all time. <laughs> and uh, so I, I uh, reached out and said, "Hey, I think there is a lot of material to mine here in terms of relevance to game design." Heck so. Yeah. 
first, I think we need to talk about what is Taskmaster. Nicole can give a summary. Uh, it's just the super super chaotic <laughs> British show where a bunch of comedians are all tasked to do the same task, and the tasks are things like, um, you know, go in the next room uh, and eat as much melon as possible. Your time starts as soon as you open the door to the room. Mm-hmm. So what the it's it's one of the first tasks and and you learn so much about what the tests are going to be like because some of the people are like oh okay and they just walk into the room and they see a whole melon there and they're like oh uh i guess i need uh some implements but the time no tools yeah no tools they have like a minute yeah and other people are like hmm well knowing you guys um there won't be any tools in there so (laughs) i should go get some tools before i open the door and the and the timer starts so it's just like it's all these, it, and, and they're all comedians, and they're all just, they, they, they're they forced to think creatively, which some of them absolutely don't think creatively. Some of them, you know, and, right. and the, host, the hosts are often like, you know, a person wouldn't just do this, would they? And then they're like, no, of course not. Let's look at th- how this person did it. And they did it like that exact like yep. completely brainless way, you know, like like the guy that walks in and just takes the watermelon and smashes <laughs> it on the ground so hard, ground. and then he inhales it and then vomits. <laughs> so, um, but my favorite part was uh, with that was they were like, "Why did you do that?" And he said, "I thought I thought watermelons were like a rock. I didn't realize they'd be so soft. So I thought I'd really have to just hammer it down." <laughs> yeah, when I think about when I like I I'm, I'm in season 11 so i often when i hear them give a task i'm often like how would i approach this and like i felt the exact same way i would have slammed that watermelon i would have had no idea that like it would have exploded like that right but yeah so so the five comedians you know they do they perform these tasks and then they basically get points based on how well they did the task and how well they did the task air quotes is like can be very arbitrary it can be Within a right. certain time period, it can be, did you follow all the instructions? You know, it can be, you know, what kind of mood was the host in? Because <laughs> right. a lot of right, it right, really right, right. Like, yeah. And there's yeah. also, all, you know, and these are all pre-recorded and they, you know, just sit on a stage and watch themselves perform these tasks, which is hilarious. <laughs> and there's always, you know, the show starts with a prize task where each of them are tasked with bringing in something, you know, um, what's the... Uh, oh, one of my favorite ones was what thing can you bring in that you think has a spring in it? <laughs> and so everybody, you know, talks about this thing that they brought in that they think has a spring in it. And then at the end of the episode, whoever gets the most points, the episode gets to take home five things that you think may or have may not spring have springs in it. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then the last thing that they do is a live task on the state on stage, which is like, Just absolutely. I mean, some of the funniest moments in that show are them all doing it at the same time. Yeah. So let's get right into talking about the um, the prize task at the beginning, because I think that is right off the bat an interesting um, thing to talk about from the perspective of game design. So um, I have prepared some examples of tasks that I think fit in all these categories. And uh, Jason's dulcet tones are going to introduce (laughs) us to each each one. So, so I, I'm the prize test section is where we're jumping. Yeah. Is that correct. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Bring in a surprisingly beautiful thing. Most surprisingly beautiful thing wins. 
So first off, um, all of these tasks are just printed on a piece of paper, and that is all the information that the contestants have to go on. Which, so if you think about this in terms of game design, this is like writing a rule book that has to fit on an index card. Right. They have to fit everything that's interesting. And, and the interesting things come from both the behaviors that the contestants get themselves up to because they're following the rules and also the behaviors they get into because they couldn't possibly write everything in the rules. And if it's not written down, you can do it. Right. It's up to interpretation. Right. So mm-hmm. what does it mean for something in this case to be surprisingly beautiful? Um, this was in uh, series seven and the, there were a couple, um, I know one person brought in some sand and she said it was surprisingly beautiful because if you put it under a microscope, you see all the little crystals and all these colors and shapes. And I thought it was, I thought that was actually pretty brilliant. And didn't, didn't she get last place for that? I, yeah, I forget how she was, was ranked. I don't think it was graded warmly, but I would have ranked it higher. That's the other thing we do at home is argue with what the uh, scoring, how the scoring actually right, happened. Right. Yeah. But then one of the others, other interpretation of surprisingly beautiful was someone took a foot photograph of Grace Kelly and taped it to the head of of the clown and a jack-in-the-box so when it came out and surprised you (laughs) it was beautiful right 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 that's fantastic but i think the prize tasks are particularly interesting because so again the way this works is that everyone has to bring in a prize and the winner gets all the all five of the prizes so if you think about this as a gamer imagine you had a board game where you were contributing something in the game you know some in-game currency to a pot and the winner of something is going to get that full pot you're not going to put anything of value in there because why would you but the wrinkle is part but not all of what determines who gets that prize is who puts the best prize in there right 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 so i was trying to think you know is that and that's a cool game mechanism, and I don't see that often. The only thing I could think of there, I saw, I know of some poker variants where you can put some money in the pot to buy a card or something like that. It's, I think, what's most interesting to me about it is the subjectiveness of it. Because, like, if you were bidding, like in an auction game, right? Everybody's putting money, even like everybody's going to put money in the pot, and then whoever puts the most in wins, right? Uh, the whole that what everybody put in, right? So, so that's very objective, right? But the idea that like you can put in um, a bunch of money and then the host can say, that's not what I was looking for. Like, right? right. And then you lose that thing. Yes. I mean, that's, that would be interesting to see how somebody would twist that in a game design um, because you have to have a judge, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you have to have a way that um, somebody determines that. And I think you would see so much variety in players, right? Of like, um, you know, any game with some sort of like a, a, a player made economy where they're bidding or betting um, can go in a wide variety of scales just based on the aggressiveness of the players. Right. Or the conservativeness of the players. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a super interesting idea. 
Yeah. So yeah, I I'm, think- I'm, I'm trying to think of a game that even, you know, remotely comes close to that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a head game. And there, and there are a lot more of that we'll, that we'll get into here of those kind of outthink your opponent. It really does fit more in the bluffing category than anything. Mm-hmm. It, it almost in a way, like the prize task almost reminds me of like an apples to apples, right? The subjectiveness oh, yeah, I was say of against humanity, yeah, like a like one of those kind of games where you're at the mercy of the judge, yeah. But you know who the judge is, and you might have a sense of what they would like. Yeah, sorry to right. interrupt you, Jason. No, no, that's that's yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, yeah, I I agree with that. So then I tried to. So once you get past the prize task, then you get to the pre-recorded tasks, and they do all sorts of things because we gave. We gave one example of a of a very physical task, mm-hmm. but there are but they really test the contestants in a ton of ways, mostly to do with creativity, but also to do with just how they can physically accomplish things. So, I thought the easiest one to talk about first was is going to be tasks that are simply doing something physical. So yeah. I got an example here from uh, series two, episode one, where Jason Get opens. This pati- yeah sorry <laughs> get this potato in the golf hole you may not touch the red green fastest wins your time starts now which is so, something that boggles my mind the whole your time starts now like you've read this you are processing this you should be acting yes oh, don't worry absolutely don't and, worry so many of them by the end are like they get to the last line and they start talking really slow and alex <laughs> will be like you have to read the last line. And they're like, yeah, I'm just thinking. Oh, I'm just thinking. Uh, yeah. That's genius. Yeah, yeah. And your head Cheaters. is boggling over. They always put some weird wording in there too. You may not touch the red green. And what yeah. that means in this case is there's a golf green that's made out of red carpet that's sitting there in the middle of the pavement. <laughs> so, the, oh, oh, that's what a red green is. So they have a potato, there's a golf hole in the middle of a big red circle, and they can't touch the red circle. So, <laughs> so Jason, you have not seen this, so I think probably it's, it's fair to ask, what would your first instinct be of how to... So this is probably maybe, what, a four-foot uh, radius... I would be looking for something like the, like a stick or something I could impale it on uh, to get it in there. God, you're um, so smart. Or, or uh, if there wasn't that, I would break the potato into smaller pieces and attempt to toss it in. Oh, um, get some potato in. Yeah, because it says get this potato. It doesn't say the whole potato. It just says get this potato, right? Yeah, and that'd be yeah. a case where you'd do it and then you'd have to argue it later. Right in the studio and convince right. them that, that that should count. I, I think this was definitely a task where where uh, Greg was like Greg's the Greg's the host for anybody who hasn't watched it. Um, Greg and and Alex is his you know assistant assistant yeah um, assistant Gre- to the regional taskmaster. <laughs> Greg says something like, "No one would just." Sh- start chucking the potato into the hole right and i think alex says nope anyway here's the following people (laughs) it's just them instantly chucking it missing the hole and being like oh no how do i get it (laughs) you only have one potato so you have to figure out a way to get it back now that was that was my first thought was like well if you miss 
you're going to probably lose the potato. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean, one of my favorite ones of all time is uh, they have this big, they have this big, long red carpet and they give them a single pea and they're like, throw this pea as far as you can on the red carpet. And it's on the grass. And some of them just go outside and throw the pea. And that pea is now gone. That pea is now <laughs> instantly gone. If you, if you don't have great aim with while throwing a pea. Which for, I mean, a group of comedians or game designers is probably likely. <laughs> One of the things this feels like to me, like that really comes out of this show um, in a task like this too, is is the whole emergent gameplay thing, right? And the interpretation of like, what can I do in this game? What is this? It doesn't say I can't do this. Could I do this? You know, um, I I was shocked when there was a task where they had to empty a bathtub. And the first thing the one guy did was ran over and looked in a shed and got like stuff to empty it with. And I was like, they can do that. Like, like I had no idea, you know, because it's, it's really about interpreting what's not said, you know, um, which, yes, as writing rules for board games is a huge problem we have is people interpreting what we didn't say yeah. um, <laughs> poorly. Yeah, yeah one I of the think thing- one of the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. Uh, one of the things it's taught me is that when I have playtesters going through one of my games, usually you want to make sure they're following the rules you intended. But it's healthy once in a while to just let them do whatever they think is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yep. And just watch because it might be better. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, I've done that in a playtest where somebody will do something and I think, oh, they technically can't do that. But they thought they could and they're doing it and they're liking that they can and do it. And they're enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to let them do it and then we'll just worry about it later. You know, I, I've actually had that before in a pitch meeting where a publisher was like, uh, I can do this. Right. And I said, yeah, you're like, you, you're like you sure, can now. yeah, like, and, and I just pretended they could, and it ended up being a better decision, right? And that, you know, warning that could have went the wrong way, right? It could have, of course, you can like, that's awful. I hate this game, um, but okay. I feel like it's trusting the fact that they play more games than I do, and they are intuitive about how games work, and they're saying this makes sense to me, and I'm thinking. Okay, you know, because I've done before too where I said, no, 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 you can't do that. And they're like, oh, but I've also said you can't do that. And they're like, oh, okay, yep. So, yeah. Um, Along the lines of what you just said about somebody going into the shed, another interesting thing that happens in the show is, you know, some people just assume, like, there'll be a task that's like um, something about distance, right? Mm -hmm. And some people will assume they can't leave the house. And other people will be like, I'm going to take a cab 20 miles away. You know what I mean? So it's like some people will do an entire task in the room that the task has been assigned to them and not leave the room and think that they have to do the whole task. Even though the task doesn't say that. And others are very much like, you know, oh, cool. I'm going to walk around the house and see what I can find that's that that I can use for this. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, and, you know, you know, it's it's just so interesting to see some of the decisions that some of them make and to wonder like, why did that person think that they weren't allowed to leave the room? (laughs) Right. I mean, it's those implied rules, right. And how we interpret them and that, yeah, I think that's a huge lesson as game designers. Um, Because I mean, 
essentially, yeah, they're watching people play test their game. It's just they happen to not care how the people interpret it because it's they want them to interpret it in a way that's funny, right? Yes. So yeah, it's not always great when that happens as a game designer. <laughs> they interpret it as a way that's funny. <laughs> it's great once, right? Yeah, it's great when it happens, but after that, it's like, oh, uh-oh, this is not good. Yeah. It's also. In, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. No, you go, you first. Uh, I it, it's also interesting to me when like like they're given some. So like there was one episode where they were all put into beekeeper suits. And they had to make a uniform. What was the uniform they had to make? It had. You just had to make a put this bee in a uniform. There was a little a bee, little toy a bee. bee. It was a tiny bee, and they had to make. I couldn't remember what it was. They had to make make a uniform for the bee, and keep the keep the beekeeper costume on the whole time, right? And two, not just not just one of them, multiple of them thought that it's that the intention was make a beekeeper uniform for this bee like not just one of them multiple of them interpreted it that way and i was like how interesting that that's where their brains went like that doesn't it didn't say that in the task but they were like well i'm in this goofy uniform it must be this uniform that they made yeah they they play with that on sometimes it's completely accidental and sometimes it's clearly on purpose there's a um there's a task in um, the New Zealand version of the show, which is also amazing, um, where the contestants come into a room, they come into the lab, and it is full of uh, candy and whipped cream and some chopped up cake and stuff. And the task says, make the best desert. Your time starts now. And four <laughs> or five of them read make the best dessert and spend the entire time crafting a dessert and one of them realizes the reason there are pickles here is the pickles look like a cactus oh (laughs) my god oh that's too funny that is hilarious yeah the show is magical the show is just so okay so interpretation important (laughs) yeah yeah and so I guess moving on from the um, from the physical tasks, I wanted to highlight a few other kinds of things they do. One is they've got a lot of tasks that are more creative, which I called art tasks. So I've got an example here from series five. Make this coconut look like a businessman. You have 10 minutes to plan this, 10 minutes to make this, and 10 minutes to make him. Your time starts now. God, that was so funny. So yeah, like it's so open to, it's not something measurable at all. Like, what are you going to do to make a coconut look like a businessman? So, so I mean, there are obvious things just dressing it up, but mm-hmm. in this case, um, there's there are people who do that. There are people who make little kind of skits with the coconut. <laughs> There's one person who um, uh, Nish Kumar dresses himself up as a businessman and makes the coconut into his head and hides his (laughs) head. It's fantastic. And he's a treasure. Yes, he is. And then Mark Watson does something completely out of left field on this one and makes the coconut 
look like a businessman by going online and registering a business in the coconut's name. <laughs> <laughs> looks like a businessman. Oh yeah. my gosh. So Yeah, those two together are a treasure. I love those two. So completely subjective. How do you, you know, that it's they're just again just playing up to the host to see what the taskmaster will say is a good solution. Right. So this is basically Dixit. Right. episode, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which so practically in board games like like a game like Dixit, a lot of people like Dixit. Um I played Dixit once and it was okay. Like I I I I struggle with games that are so subjective like that because I I I continually think the people are making the wrong choices, like objectively oh, yeah. making the wrong choices even though that's not a thing. <laughs> Um, like codenames pictures i'm like yeah no, no. this is too they're stressful. they're objectively making the wrong choices and they can stop being <laughs> your friends if they don't agree with you but um uh i um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but like Sorry. in in some in a cluing game uh maybe is another another thing you could make an analogy to like something uh, like uh mm-hmm. um celebrities or times up or monikers or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. where Someone will give a completely ridiculous explanation for a celebrity or a movie or whatever, but that now becomes what everyone thinks is truth. Yeah, it becomes an mm-hmm. in-joke. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I think in a game like Monikers, what's so great about that is, um, are you familiar with Monikers, Nicole? Yeah. So, you know, when someone accidentally says something stupid in the first round or does something stupid, well, yeah, they say something stupid in the first round that just carries over to the next two rounds where you're not, where you're saying one word or you're, you know, doing charades um, because that is what gets stuck in your brain about it. Right. And that actually helps you. Um, Well, they also, I mean, it's also so, reliant on if the people know each other like i remember one time i was playing code names and i said america three and i was playing with a good friend and kate said um well i i think nicole looked at the board and saw hawk and thought it was eagle (laughs) and included that because she got the other two and she was like i so i think i think it's hawk and she was a thousand percent right I saw Hawk, my brain said Eagle, and I said America 3, because it was also like, you know, flag and something else. And I was just like, you know me so well. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, the national bird, the hawk. The hawk, yeah, you know. So they do that kind of thing on this show, too. They play with the contestants knowing each other and the audience knowing the contestants, because, like we said, they, they keep the same five people throughout the whole se- series the whole season mm-hmm. um before switching over so you really get to know these people and how they know each other so they'll have tasks where that are kind of more um little game theory a little uh thinking what other people are going to do so there's one where they came into a room and sitting in there was an apple and some money and what an air horn and they had to do something with one of the items but also predict what the other people would do with the items 
Yeah. And you get points for people predicting you correctly and predicting and for you predicting what they would do correctly. Which is a treat because nice. I put it later on in the series after after you as the audience, you have a pretty good right. idea too. You can play along. Right, right. You know, this madman is gonna, you know, put the apple up his butt or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Those remind me of the um of the tasks that are like um there was one recently that was like get into this coconut and drink its contents, right? And there's a bunch of stuff on the table and you're disqualified if you choose anything that another contestant chose. So you get no points. You know, there's like, <laughs> there's like a metal straw that seems like, and then it becomes a question of, well, I think everybody's going to use this thing. So I'm going to use this second thing, but somebody else is probably going to use this second thing. So how do I use the least likely thing? And there's always one person who's like, no one's going to use this most obvious thing. Because everybody's going to think that everybody else is going to use it. So I'm going to use that. <laughs> right. I mean, that is the, and that's like classic social deduction game, right? So Absolutely. classic. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but that's where it really comes through with knowing the people, right? Like what about in a, in a game where you don't know the other players and being like asked to make those decisions? I, I think that actually um, could be hilarious where you've got, um, where you've got, you know, uh, like people having to make those type of guesses. Like, I think this person's going to do this um, based on, you know, not knowing them. Right. Um, I think that that's yeah, I think you could have an interesting party game there where a party game that you only play with people you don't know. Uh, well, you know, um, doesn't think I don't think it would sell very good, but exactly. it, it could be really interesting. <laughs> a party game for strangers. <laughs> Stranger Danger. It's a party <laughs> game for people who don't know each other. You're welcome. <laughs> now I kind of want to design that game. <clears throat> yeah, okay. So um, I guess the next uh, next category I had here, there's sometimes the game likes to get some comedy, but also gameplay out of... Um, out of doing a little bit of a head fake. So I want to read the first thing under uh, series four, episode eight here, Jason. Make the most exotic sandwich. Read, read the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. I, I get it now. Make the most it's exotic okay. sandwich. You have 10 minutes to plan your exotic sandwich, then 10 minutes to construct it. Your time starts now. This is one of my favorite tasks of all time. Me too. Me too. And so then... Yeah, yeah so like there is like people are making these crazy things out to it's called the most exotic sandwich just um like some of them actually sound quite good but they're generally huge um Mel Gedricks is like literally like a foot tall and all sweets between bread yeah it's just candy oh. and bread <laughs> And they're all they're all laughing hysterically because they're like, haha, Alex is gonna have to eat this, or like Greg is gonna have to eat this, right? So they're like just being the most just doing the most ob putting the most obnoxious stuff between bread while like laughing. Yeah, right. and uh Noel Fielding on that one goes left field like he always does and decides that to make an exotic sandwich you'd have an exotic dancer between bread. So he tapes 
take ties pieces of bread to each side of Alex's head and calls that his exotic sandwich and makes <laughs> Alex do a little do a dance. Little dance. <laughs> so oh. then, but so then, then they the open end, another. No. Yeah, they open another piece of paper that says, "Eat your exotic sandwich. Fastest wins. Your time starts now." <laughs> Honestly, other than the gross out factor of eating the sandwich that's been tied to someone's head, I have to assume that was probably pretty easy. Oh, uh, I, I don't worry. It's pretty gross. It's pretty gross because, yeah. you know, it's not if you're just eating the bread, you're not eating the sandwich, he decided. Yeah. So he had to eat some of the filling. <laughs> that is gross. I don't need to know any more about that. <laughs> So, so those multi-part that the multi-part idea though that is, I think that could be a fantastic uh, tool in game design of telling players to do X and then revealing, like flipping that on its head and making it, you know, um, penalizing you for being, uh, for being awful. It'd be like it'd be like Ticket to Ride, but then at the end, for every time you cut someone off, like you lose ten points, but you right. didn't know that until the right. end. Yeah, I can't see the surprise working in something other than, say, a legacy game or something. Legacy exactly. game would be a great example of that, though, right? Where, um, you know, um, gosh, you can have a like, like where it's like to win this episode, you'll have to lose. Like, so like, <laughs> like, so you find out that you've lost and you're like, ah, and then you open the envelope and it's like, we won. Uh, bad example, but something like that. Well, I think in I think in the case of the sandwich, the the interesting thing to me, and um, this is something that you know I've heard with video games too. It's like, it's like you get rewarded for not being mean, right? Like, right. Mm -hmm. one of my favorite memes is like someone says like, "Oh, why are you playing the good guy in a video game?" And it's like because my fantasy in life involves being a good person. Like, right. <laughs> I don't want to like choose right. the morally evil person and play like it actually makes me feel bad to play the game that way right right yeah i i love that idea of like pulling that off in a game where you it, it, so i i think there is a way to do that what if you had a game where you had like 20 or 30 cards that were a random bonus at the end of the game for doing something positive for other people but they're all very different so me, you know, Jonathan says, oh, I'm short. I'm short uh, one piece of currency to buy this thing. I'm like, you know what? I got you. I'll, I'll, I'll help you with that. Right. Maybe this and this in this time I play it, that's a bonus. But maybe it's not. And maybe I just was nice to him for no reason other than to be nice to him. <laughs> um, I, I kind of love the idea of a game where you you're doing things and you're trying to win, but you're also helping others. Um, and that may or may not actually help you in the end. Well, I also like the idea of that, but add one more layer to it, which is if somebody else correctly guesses what your what your thing is, they get a point. <laughs> right? So oh, like, I was then you're thinking, just doing a bunch of random nice things for everyone all right. the time because you're like, no, well, I'm going to guess it. I was thinking the idea that like, you know, that like doing positive things for people is good. Like maybe there's a list of like, here's the 25 positive things you could be doing. But at the end of the game, you're only going to be rewarded for one of them. Right, right. <laughs> but you're going to be rewarded really well. Or maybe it's three of them, right? Um, yeah. To up your odds a little yeah. bit. Oh, man, I love it. There's there's a non-zero-sum game right there. Right? Exactly. 
<laughs> it reminds me of uh have you have you both played Bonanza? Yeah. Uh yeah, yes. So when I would play with Anthony and some of our like gamer friends who had played it before, everybody was really cutthroat, right? So you're always cutthroat. Everybody's like, you know, you're trying to like make a trade and, you know, Anthony and, and his best friend Adam would be like, absolutely don't make that trade. That's not beneficial to you. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> numerically, that doesn't make sense, right? And there have been a couple times where we like introduced somebody to the game or we played with people who weren't hardcore gamers and everybody was just very nice to each other. And Anthony would get infuriated. <laughs> he would be he would be disgusted. He would be like, you guys know this isn't a cooperative game, right? You're just giving her points. And I was just like, oh my God, this is, it, it was almost like gaming the game. Like I would like start to be nice to other people just to watch him flip out. <laughs> yeah that's fantastic it was so much fun yeah him and i have that in common because i would get mad in Catan when somebody's at 14 or somebody would be at nine points and like hey will you trade me no no one trade this person anything what is wrong with you it doesn't matter if they're like i'll give you seven cards for this one card that means that's all they need to win yeah yeah, don't do it don't do it yeah (laughs) yeah so you brought up uh zero sum and i think maybe there's a little little diversion but the i want to talk for a second about the scoring in this series so every task with more exceptions as time goes on but generally speaking there are five contestants and every task is scored by ranking those five people five points four Mm -hmm. points three points two points one point you don't score based on how well you did. So if everyone does poorly, someone's still getting five points. If everyone right, does right, great, right. someone's still getting one point. Right, right. So a question I wrote down is what are the what are the implications? What are the reasons that you might want to have scoring systems in a game that are ranking as opposed to rating? When is one appropriate or the other? Because you, there are there are plenty of games that do both for various things, right, area right. majority kind of things. Well, isn't I mean, when it any game that is like when you win via victory points is just a ranking system, right? I mean, because the game as if a whole everybody is, does, but I'm talking about the points within the game. Like if you've got oh, a okay, little okay. little contest of some sort within the game, and you mm-hmm. and, and you're getting you know, eight points if you got at least three people in this thing. That's very different than eight points if you're first. Right. 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 That is true. And then, yeah. and then a progression, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. So when would you, when is that, like, what does that do to players' mindsets? And, and when is, when is it better to do rating versus ranking? Oh, that's such a hard question. Cause I know that like one of the things that, can really push me away from a game is if it's if it's a too swingy and b there's too much of a gulf between first place and last place right right yeah like no that's that not fun drives yeah. me crazy yeah yeah you want it to be close enough that it feels like everyone had a chance right exactly exactly but, but i do like that you know um that's uh, a game that i designed with ken franklin um recently um there's a ra- there's a scoring system in there where if you're trying to clear these burdens off cards. And and if somebody clears four burdens and you clear 
two burdens or even just one, you're going to get one point and they're going to get two points. And it doesn't matter that they did most of the work you got in there. So boom, you're, you're getting half what they're getting, even if they did, you know, well over three quarters of the work. Um, and that really does change the dynamic of rather than like whoever has the majority just gets this because right. people will be like, you know what? I'm going to hop on this card because I'm going to get a point. Uh, whereas if it was only the majority scores, they very well might not do that, which right. would mean less cards get completed, which is counter to the goal of the game. So, so yeah, I think there's a good reason to do it right there of trying to get more people invested in, um, you know, in that, in a, in a, in an idea around something within the game. Yeah. I if that makes sense it, for me as a player, I, it's interesting as a designer, I really like what the, what the, that kind of ranking system does to a game in, cause it's interesting behaviors as a player. I kind of shy away from those games because I don't like the feeling that I did a lot of work, but then like in an area control game, someone got a little bit more than me. And so I right, don't get right. rewarded for all that work I did. Yeah. Um, Right. Right. Well, this is, this is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. That is, that is less fun. Yes. <laughs> when you're like, oh, wow, I'm going to win. Oh, somebody squeaked it out with one thing. And then, but that's no different than if the, at the end of the game, you've lost because of that. Right. Um, because somebody got two points at the end of the game for something and then suddenly they've won and you've lost. Um, yeah. That actually to me feels more punishing than if that happens within the game. Um, because it's the end, right? It's over now. You got nothing. If you had 60 points and you had 59, you might as well have had zero, right? right. Except for that you would have known you weren't going to win. So, <laughs> <laughs> which would have made Nicole very upset. And yeah, too. yeah. Yeah. You know, there's nothing worse in my mind than a game where I know five turns into a 20 turn game that I've completely lost and there's nothing I can do. Like I try my best not to be a, a poor sport, but nothing makes me want to be a poor sport more than playing a game where you completely know you've lost super early in the game. Like, and I blame that on the game. Like, I feel like the game should be more balanced than that. I mean, or I'm just an awful player, which is fair, but you know, yeah. No, that's happened to me in games before that happened. The one and only time I played Twilight Imperium, um, you know, we were like an hour into that. And Anthony was like, there's no way I can win. I'm about to have the most miserable 11 hours of my life. And it's like, jokes on you, bro. You're about to have the most miserable 13 hours of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a, like that type of game. I've talked about that on the show before. I will not engage with those types of games because like, even for me to like a game has to be so good for me to want to invest four hours plus into it anyways but if yeah. at that end like i've completely lost and the game wasn't super fun <laughs> like because i do think some of those so games are are only fun when you're winning because like that's you're clearly you're achieving the things you're trying to do the things i um, won i had an amazing time <laughs> <laughs> and you were just making it go longer right i'm just gonna make this take longer to <laughs> all right we should move on to the next one here yeah, um, so at the end of every episode, there is a task that is... So all these have been 
pre-recorded and they're just in the studio talking about how they did and revealing the results. And the end of every mm-hmm. episode, they do one live. And so the one I cherry picked here is from series six. In, and up on stage, you see every contestant has a little quail egg. They've got a chicken egg that turns out to be a rubber egg. And they've got a big ostrich egg. And then someone reads. Get an egg as close to the center of the target as possible. You must stand on the spot when you're taking your turn. You must roll two of the eggs. The person whose egg is furthest from the center of the target after each round is eliminated. The person in first place goes first. So this is, I mean, they're they're just, they're, they're doing curling or or uh, something like here, or a right, dexterity right. game here. But I thought this was worth talking about how different it feels and what different behaviors you can get out of people when they're competing against each other and can see each other competing as opposed to all the other tasks when they are doing it independently. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of magic in the show around seeing people's reactions to the tasks independently of one another and not being able to get the feedback from other people. And that's something I don't know. I couldn't come up with any examples in the board game world where, where that's done, where people are isolated so that they're doing something. I guess the biggest thing is maybe in a behind a player screen, but. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Where it's like, you play the game and I'll play the game and then we'll see who won afterwards. Well, I think I, the interesting thing to me is, have you have you guys played Karuba? Yeah. I, I remember not. the first, uh, sorry. That's okay. Just just go for it. Yeah. yeah. So the, so I know the, about I remember, it. So. so Jonathan, I remember the first time I played Karuba, I remember thinking, how, how, are, how are any of us going to do different things? We've all got the same setup and we're looking at the same cards. We're all, of course, going to do the same thing. And at the end of the first game I played, everyone's tableau was different and it blew my mind. And then, you know, the same thing happens to me sometimes with Railroad Inc. You know, we're all using the same dice, but especially with the Railroad Inc. app, you know, my friend and I have the same exact dice. And and of course the variable is the extra bonus dice that you can use in between each turn. Mm -hmm. But like seeing, you know, and he's an artist. So seeing the cities that he makes versus the like, goblin towns i make is like <laughs> very eye-opening and 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 at no point when playing that game with someone do i ever look over at their board to see what they're doing which which i find to be really interesting like why don't i do that you know yeah arguably it is it is a better experience because you don't notice until it's all done yeah mm-hmm. yeah which is interesting because we think about games being the best games are about the are the heavily interactive ones. And there's a lot to be said, said for the playing alone in a room together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there's definitely, uh, I mean, there are certainly games where it feels like, you know, um, you're playing a solo game, right? Without anyone else. I mean, pretty much any roll and write game, right? But I was just going to say, yeah, that I was playing a lot of that's pretty clever for it, a little while. It is interesting though, when you said that it's um, that you don't look at someone else's board and you like that you're not realizing how well they're doing that. I want to call out a difference between patchwork and patchwork doodle. So Ooh. patchwork, you play the game, right? And you can look over at what people are doing 
But I mean, I don't know. I've never super focused on what people are doing because it really requires your attention to, to look at the pieces that are coming and make some choices. Otherwise, that game's going to take forever, right? Now, in Patchwork Doodle, um, the way they make that different, because you use the same piece, but the way they make it different is you have a different starting piece. And that starting piece is big enough that it you'll have a completely different quilt um, because of that starting piece. That's very but cool. After every so many cards, I think it's after every seven cards, you pause and you tally up scores for that round. Um, and I wasn't sure what was what annoyed me about that game, but that's it. It's it's the drawing attention to like, oh, wow, my wife got 30 points in this round and I got 15 or vice versa. Right. And there's that feeling of like, I better catch up next round. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's only three rounds uh, and you, well, your scores will continue to get bigger, hopefully. Um, you know, there's no promises there. So. So, yeah, like that's that is I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with what the problem is with that, you know, where those solo games are fun because you don't pay attention to what the other person is doing. And when you're forced to suddenly it's like, oh, this is so very more difficult. <laughs> Also, I want to call out that that team, te- that, that, I mean, that game uh, has player elimination, uh, the game they're playing in that, which never flies with what we're doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But when not. it's in yeah. front of a live studio audience and then you can, you know, you can mock each other while you're while you're knocked out trying to screw up the other people, uh, that certainly would make it more exciting. And when it's three minutes long. Right. Yeah, that also is fine when it's three minutes long. <laughs> right. They also, yes. they honestly, like, they also, they do a lot of um, no nos in the live tasks. Um, Jonathan, one of my favorite ones that absolutely would not fly as a board game. I mean, maybe it wouldn't. I'm just not thinking of the right board games is um, they literally have to guess if Greg put a picture of a horse <laughs> or a picture of a laminator on the easel. And if they guess right, they get a point. And if they guess wrong, they're eliminated. It's literally, <laughs> it was literally called read the taskmaster's mind or something like that. And so like that felt arbitrary and mean, but one of them got like 14 points. And the, and the, the trick to that one was however many times you got it right, you added those points to your score versus a five, four, three, two, one situation. Right, right, right. Yeah. But it I was, I just remember ranking, thinking yeah. like, I remember thinking like, this is such arbitrary, like crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was we're, completely. I mean, rats, we were random, at a, right? you're at a casino at that point, but people yes. like going to the casino, right? And and if and <laughs> exactly, the thing yeah. is too, like Greg could make it totally random by just shuffling them and just grabbing one, right? Yeah, not even you know what that did remind me of, which uh, is not game related, but uh, everyone should check this out. Is eight out of ten, eight out of ten cats. I love eight um, out of ten cats. That have yeah. you that carrot in a box? Oh my god. Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. And that comedian, I can't remember his name, but he passed away. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but Locke. yeah, that is the two, there's two episodes of that, that I've seen with that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, it's the same two guys playing this carrot in a box game. Uh, is there a carrot in the box? That's the question. I'm going to send you another thing that has Sean in it that will absolutely make you like pay your pants. Awesome. Awesome. He's so funny. He's just so funny. He's yeah. But the, 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 the wrinkle there is one of them knows. Right. Yes. Yes. And in this case, yeah. Like, I mean, Greg knows, but that doesn't help. Right. Cause you can't read his mind. Right. Yeah. But as soon as you have the factor, you add psychology on top of randomness and right. then it becomes interesting. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most interesting thing was when one of the players like went on like a 14 point tear and everybody, and Greg was like, I'm actually starting to get a little scared that you can read. It was so funny. It was so funny. Oh, that's funny. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's do the next one here. All right. Yeah. I know we don't have time for it. We, we could do this forever. So at some point we're just going to have to stop, but it's probably worth highlighting that on the show in every series, there are some tasks that are team tasks. And when I was reading about this show before I'd ever seen him, this seemed, this seemed morally offensive and repugnant to me as a game designer, <laughs> because I saw the problem right away. There are five people and they split them into two teams for the whole season. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see the problem there. <laughs> oh, that one team has three people and the one other one has, has three two? people and one team has yeah. two people the whole time. But so as... depending on how you stagger those tasks, though, that could be a benefit or a... Uh, also, but... depending on who the people are, exactly. uh, that person can be a hindrance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you, that's so you, hit, you hit the nail on the head there, Jason. So the, here's an example <laughs> here from uh, series one. Make this bed to a hotel standard whilst holding hands. Your time ends when you get in the bed. Fastest time wins. Hold hands now. Your time starts now. So they have a bed they have to make and they have to get in the bed and they can't let go of each other's hands. And and in a and three player game it is just doing nothing but literally doing middle, nothing. It's doing nothing. <laughs> Except for being completely in the way. Absolutely incredible. Like yeah. amazing. So they found ways of kind of equalizing it because usually you'd think more people is probably going to be better most Not of in the that time. Case. No, but in that case awful. no. Yeah, you've got a person like literally on the bed, probably in your way. So um, I, that makes me think of, though, like, can you think of any game examples? I can't think of where you are required in the game to sometimes team up with other players, like in like an actual like that's what you need to do now. Not like a oh, hey, Nicole, why don't we kind of work together here? Because Jonathan's getting ahead of us. Um, yeah, I can. I, uh, come back I mean, to me. when the game is not a team game overall, it's just a portion right, of the game like, thing. In this round, points scored by Nicole will be added to Jason. Or, you know, the, the points Nicole right. and Jason score will be divided by two and split evenly between them. God, I know there are games like that. And I, I, I'm like... I guess split evenly between them is exactly the same thing as divided by two, um, which... <laughs> Um, yep. It's definitely a rectangle for Roscoe Shock, who's listening. It's definitely a rectangle. Um, yeah, there are so lots yeah. of um, card games, trick-taking games and things that do shifting partnerships, which isn't quite yeah. the same thing. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't, I, like, I've never played any of those. Like there's some three-player games. Um, uh, what is it? Landlord, where uh, tr uh, trick-taking card games where it'll be two against one, but the one is the person who is currently leading that kind of thing. Okay. Hmm, so nice built in catch up mechanic there. Yep, exactly. Or, um, yeah, I don't know if Frank zoo does that, or I'm thinking, um, camel up with the expansion does an interesting thing with, with partnerships where they support more people. So camel up, you're betting on the outcome of the race and you're taking all yes. these little bets. Yep. Making awful bets, likely, awful bets. or at least completely <laughs> random bets based on information that is likely not going to be helpful. 
and the expansion supports more players and the you can you can see the design cogs in the designer's brain even just it just as a designer playing this game you can see all the decisions that went made it went into this thing um so clearly when they added more players there wasn't enough to do um it would get all the way around and not everyone got a chance to move the camels or whatever mm-hmm. so they needed more things to do and one of the things they added was partnerships as an action you can become another player's partner for that round and they can't say no (laughs) so then once you're their partner you score their best bet and they score your best bet yeah just for that round and that's That's not quite the same thing but it's but it's very interesting way of doing those kind of shifting partnerships that's interesting I'm going to think of one in at like three in the morning and sit up in bed and yell the name out. I know. Awesome. That's going to be great. I'm glad I'm not going to be there for that. <laughs> All um, right. So let's, let's move to the last one on the, this list to wrap this up because I know we're okay. running short on time. So there was um, in the uh, champion of champions, um, there was a task that I thought was pretty good at encapsulating um, some of the trickery they do in this and, and what makes it great so they they come into a room there's a bunch of stuff around there's a there's a chalkboard with a bunch of stuff written on it and on the table is a briefcase and they get Mm -hmm. the following task what's in the case your time starts now and that was it and so five people each found a completely different way of solving this problem. Which and the thought, case I'm assuming was locked? Yes, it's a locked briefcase. Okay. It'd so, be funny if it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So Oh my god, you would not believe some of the things. There was a time when they had to there was a bottle and the bottle cap had a lock on it and they uh, some of them spent time trying to find the the code to open the lock, but you could just untwist the bottle. It wasn't <laughs> like you could also just break the bottle yeah exactly yeah smash it like a watermelon <laughs> sorry so in, keep going Johnny. yeah so in this case it turns out that chalkboard had a whole bunch of math equations and if you solved for x and did a whole bunch of algebra it came up with the code for the briefcase <laughs> so that was what one these person are comedians did. so that's comedians. not helping yeah well, so one person did a lot of math so that's great um also someone there's a message that said count the was it count the rice or something like that and there was a drawer with individual grains of rice and if they counted them all you got the three digit number or whatever it was (laughs) oh my god oh my god oh my god um then let's see the three more one person decided well they just needed to find out what was in the briefcase and it didn't say anything about opening the lock so they took it outside and smashed the hell out of the briefcase <laughs> and broke it, broke it to get in there and find out what it was. Then one person just started guessing things and eventually got the right answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but then what I, the, the, the greatest one is someone kind of looked around the room and on the other side of the table, the code to the briefcase was just, on a post-it note right on the desk yeah we didn't we didn't tell you we didn't tell you that part jason that every once in a while the answer 
is in the room. Right. Or somewhere obvious, like literally painted on the caravan. <laughs> or like somewhere super me, yeah. comically obvious. And like I was re-watching some of those episodes. And the funny part was in the early in the I think in the first episode that I remember them doing it, I looked because I was like, oh, I know where the answer is. And they had they had a sensor bar on it in the episode. And I was like, Oh, those cheeky monkeys. <laughs> yeah. So That's that one, um, that task of course brings to mind multiple paths to victory. One of our favorite yes. topics. <laughs> yeah, that is, Oh, that's a really, yeah, that's a really good one. And, and clearly it, it's one of those that you could tell you could, the production crew was probably just, pumping their fist in the air with glee when they noticed that everyone was doing it a different way. Right. <laughs> right. Cause your fear of course is, I mean, just like with a, as a game designer, right. Your fear is that everyone goes for the number on the table, right? They're like, yeah, this is clearly the best way I'm going to do it this way. Right. Um, and that is, uh, that's not what you want. Right. Otherwise it's not a multiple path to victory game. If people aren't doing the, the other paths, right. It's just yeah. not. And also I think that they're not, I think that, Especially in the earlier seasons, I don't think they were factoring in like the sheer panic that sets in. Right, right. And like the fact that you're not you're not looking around. <laughs> it's the reason that I don't play real time games in general because of that sheer panic. I know exactly how that feels. Um, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm so bad at those for that exact reason. So I I get it. I get that feeling those poor people probably get when that happens. Yeah. Like, ah! I have done literally this thing in designing escape room games is that I'll put redundant clues on cards that you don't need to solve the puzzle, but you feel really clever if you find it and hopefully somebody does it's it's like watching mystery science theater you know you, there are so many jokes that one of them is going to seem like it's made just for you <laughs> yes <laughs> and that's the greatest feeling in the world yes yes it is um we can do this we can do this last one if you want i have i have enough time all right, all right. if you yeah, want so, to john finn yeah, yeah so the last the last category that i had down here was um they've got a bunch of tasks that really are kind of classic game theory problems that are represented for a general audience. So there's one that was actually mm -hmm. a, a live task that um, the contestants, you see them all on stage with a wooden dowel and they've got five donuts and then there are partitions so they can't see each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> I see where this is going. Place one or more donuts on your stick. You have 100 seconds, the, after which the person with the lowest unique whole number of donuts on their stick wins. I appreciate the word whole. Yes. <laughs> under number. <laughs> because, yeah, somebody's going to try and be funny. Oh, yeah. This <laughs> is, I mean, you see this in betting games all the time, right? Like yeah. the whole, like, or betting games where it's, yes, yes. Ties eliminated are one of my, is one of my favorite um, is one of my favorite uh, mechanics that's really hard to use well, right? Because like if you do it wrong, it can be really like if it's like a scoring thing, like okay, in this round, the people if you ever get the same score, you're you don't score. Like that is 
that's not that that can be really disheartening uh right. if you're playing it wrong yeah it, or, it, that relies on it's fun if it happens in a relatively low stakes way and you have some reason to believe what the other people are going to do so you can head right. fake them. Yeah. So like, interestingly enough, this is very fun in go nuts for donuts. Right. Right. <laughs> Speaking of Oh donuts. my gosh. That's a great example. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. How many rounds in a row are we both going to go for the same thing? Yes. Right, like yes. get out of my head. I just need a point. <laughs> yeah. And that is something where like, yes, we're, you uh, that's something that gets easier farther into that game because you start to see what people are going for and yes, you're like okay yeah. well they're going for glazed donuts i'm just gonna i'm gonna just not pick those and you know or or there's nothing up there i want so i'm going to pick that yeah <laughs> and not let them have it because spite because <laughs> sometimes spite is how you do it and sometimes <laughs> the ones that are just get three points for this donut right Nobody goes for it because they're all assuming everybody else is going to go for it or three people go right. for it. <laughs> right. It, this this also reminds me very much of Just One, which is a fantastic party game oh if you haven't God. played it. Have so you played good. that one, Jonathan? Oh, yeah. 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 It's just it's so clever. And it, you end up with the weirdest answers and then the weirdest answers canceling out the weirdest answers. Yeah. Because, so <laughs> in, in case people don't know, in Just One. Uh, the goal is for all group of us to give a clue to one person to get them to guess a word uh, by writing other words. But if uh, Jonathan and I write the same word uh, to try and give Nicole the clue, uh, our words cancel each other out and they don't get put in. Um, right. So if the word is garden, right? And and Jason and I both write horticulture. Our words just get erased. Because that is exactly what... Who would write horticulture? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna write vegetable, okay? Or dirt. You're like, first of all, rude. Horticulture is way too long to even fit on that little right. board. Right, right. So you can you gotta see play that... to the people that are like, what's horticulture? <laughs> Crosses out right dirt. <laughs> So you can see that uh, there's plenty to talk about for each of these uh, things. So we could go on for every time you have an episode that you need to fill in, Jason, we can just we can do a dozen more of these. Because yeah, really, what, it's my pitch for, for everyone who's a game designer who wants something to watch is you should watch this show because A, it's hilarious. And mm -hmm. B, every episode, it's like you're being taught the rules of five brand new games and you can yeah. think about what those des game designs teach you mm -hmm. yep. it's also just like i mean it's like a pure shot of dopamine you know it's like <laughs> it's like joyful it's funny um there's every season i have a crush on someone i'm always <laughs> yeah. i'm always like googling like i remember the season with rose matafeo i was like is rose matafeo single like <laughs> you know and it, it's just like you know they're like they're clever in ways that a show with just a bunch of actors wouldn't be you know what i mean they're right. you know right they just like they're so quick-witted and like ah. Uh, just cannot say enough about how much that, that show just brings me joy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so yes. Uh, you can find, you can find a bunch of episodes of this up on YouTube. 
not everything, but a lot of them. But and... it looks like most of it. I, I had Googled it, how to watch it. And it was like the first like nine seasons are free on YouTube. And then after that, I think Amazon Prime has it. Has well, then there's like it, one know. season on like Vimeo or something like that. Yeah. And then you have to hunt a yeah. bit like yeah. you do with a lot of overseas stuff. If you, okay. you can track down the the New Zealand season series are as good, if not better. Um, and then when you're out of that, they you could be like my um pathetic life here and where we're watching um out of desperation we started watching other languages and it's still great with subtitles we're currently <laughs> we're currently watching season four of the norwegian version of taskmaster with oh subtitles my God, there's a Norwegian version? <laughs> and it is hilarious <laughs> starts with I'm, the people I'm who, these down. who did um contestants in the first one include the guys who did the what did the fox say what does the <gasps> fox say song? <laughs> oh my gosh oh, that's, that's ridiculous but anyway yeah there's plenty of content out there and it's it's all worth it well and i just i i, I appreciate the idea of this episode and doing this because i i as i've stated before i love pulling game design inspiration from different places that you wouldn't necessarily normally think to look um, because I think that that's what helps us think outside of the box, right? Like you said, you're going to see the rules to five new games. And most of those games are going to be stupid and ridiculous in the best way. And that is something, you know, to, to ask yourself those questions. What, what can I, well, how could I do this as a game? Yeah. And I, Frankly, yeah. a lot of the games are completely broken, but that doesn't mean there's not something in there worth salvaging. Right. Right. They're funny right. because they're broken, but then <laughs> there probably is something fixable for a, full-fledged game right right and and i just love pondering ideas of like how would i do this and you know if you can pull one cool nugget of an idea out of it completely worth it yeah 100 yeah so thank you two for uh for hanging out tonight and talking about this and uh making me watch it because i'll I'll definitely keep watching it now (laughs) this is it's it's fantastic i love it yeah thanks for suggesting this jonathan what a great idea this was yeah thanks for bringing it up um so, uh, yeah. So, um, if you want to get in touch with the show, um, you can, uh, find us at building the game there. You can find out about our discord channel, which is just getting lit now. If that, if people still say that, do people say things are lit? Cause Absolutely. it's lit. Absolutely. I don't think they do, but it's, it's cool. It's fun. Yeah. No. Anyways, you should check it out because we've got some really good conversations going there. The community is growing by leaps and bounds and we are having a great time. Um, and then, uh, in addition, you can, of course, uh, go to grandgamersguild.com. I'm pretty sure that's where you can get the Cupid crisis and any other games that Jonathan designed or I designed. They they don't have mine anymore, but it's cool. It's cool. 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 (laughs) There's another one coming out. It's going to be great. Um, so yeah. Um, you can also, of course, find us all on the Twitter. I am, uh, we've got at podcast BTG. I am at J A Slingerland. Nicole is at tweets. Uh, and Jonathan is at Uncle John Bob, which I had to look up because I assumed it was at Jonathan Schaffer, even though I follow you, but it's at Uncle John Bob. So that's the thing. Um, <laughs> but please come back and join us again next week and every week. Uh, but until then, good night. Good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs> <laughs>